0: Welcome to Song Thrive, an interview podcast that explores the stories and events that lead to great songwriting. I'm your host, Drew Dockerill. In this week's episode, I speak to JT Roach, a songwriter who's making waves in the industry and can be seen on NBC's Songland, which premieres later this month. The Wisconsin native who now resides in LA gives us an inside look at how he constructs songs and what goes into writing for other artists and musicians? Thank you for joining me, JT. Really appreciate that. Out from sunny LA.
1: Yeah, sunny LA. I've been out here for five years. Um, just got back into town from Nashville, um, but I am from I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, originally. So
0: amazing, man! What were you up to in uh, Nashville?
1: Nashville. Uh, I spent my first week working with Matt Carney on a new EP. Um, five-song EP that we're going to have coming out you know, within the month. And then uh, the second week, I was just doing sessions, worked with a young guy named Spaz Cardigan, who I'm sure people will hear about. He's really talented. Um, and a couple other artists um, that are signed with Capitol Records that I, I did some sessions with. So,
0: And just eating a ton of barbecue. <laughs> oh, man. How does Nashville compare
1: to L.A.? Um, you know, they're both arguably the two best music scenes in the u.s so like i feel like I, I try to spend a lot of time in nashville one of my two managers lives there katie fagan she runs prescription songs nashville um but i i still feel like la is kind of ground zero for pop music um yeah, obviously if you're writing country nashville is the spot um as cities you know i being from wisconsin i really love nashville and i would love to end up there someday um, just because it feels so much more like home to me, but I've really gotten comfortable in LA. I just moved into a new apartment here, and LA is such a great city. And I'm in Studio City now, which is like feels very central for all the places that I'm going. Because so many studios are in North Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it's tough to be. It's tough to beat just skipping winters, and LA is just like 72 and perfect all the time. Although it's kind of rainy and cloudy today. So
0: tell us, man. I guess you know, let's, let's start off with uh, a question that I, I like to ask a lot of the singer-songwriters that, that are on the Song Thrive podcast. You know, I guess just take us back to your early memories of music. Can you pinpoint your first musical memory in life?
1: You know, I come from a family who just really loves music. I think my earliest memories were just dancing around to um, records that my parents would put on the stereo system um, in our living room. So like, Beach Boys, Beatles, you know, whatever, like Rafi children's music kind of stuff. And just being, yeah, yeah, I know, right. Pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid name drop. But I mean, like kids music, you know, like I used to listen to that kind of stuff. And, um, hearing just the music that my parents were listening to from the backseat, um, of the car, um, yeah, Beach Boys, Beatles, um, a lot of Motown, you know, um, My mom loves like Carol King, Neil Young, Bob Dylan. Uh, James Taylor is another is another one. I know uh, Sweet Baby James was like one of those songs that my mom would sing us to when we were going to sleep. So um, James Taylor is another huge um, artist. And honestly, weirdly, uh, just like church music, because I grew up in a Catholic Christian family. So like, you know, hearing, you know, Ave Maria and whatever Christmas music and all the songs that I've heard so many times in church you know, those have definitely had an influence on me as well.
0: Absolutely, man. That's awesome. A lot of the artists that you mentioned, it's cool that, you know, I I didn't realize this, but, you know, now finding out your musical influences, it's pretty sweet because it seems like you gravitated towards the acoustic guitar as opposed to the electric guitar. And I'm wondering if those influences had an impact on that decision.
1: Uh, wouldn't be surprising to me. Um, but I will say, just I've I've always just loved acoustic guitar for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, even just like high school and college, playing. I was like the acoustic guitar guy who always brought it to parties and would just play songs for people. Me and my me and my uncle Jim would always play acoustic guitar by the bonfire up at our cabin in uh, Northwoods, Wisconsin, and that was like another place where I would p- perform and play. So it just was like a comfortable comfort thing to just p- rip songs on acoustic and play a lot of my favorite songs so it kind of went from me playing other people's songs in the most convenient way which acoustic guitar is an, it's pretty easy to set up an acoustic guitar you just tune it and go so um and yeah and eventually like after college just writing my own stuff
0: i agree with you so much on that i I've, I've gravitated in the same way i do a lot of like neo funk type beats now with electric but my heart and soul is in the acoustic guitar. Um, and it started that way when I was 15. And it's like something about the acoustic guitar is just mysterious and magical, you know, and I kind of have an obsession with acoustic guitars and I actually saw that. Yeah. And I actually saw that you, I believe we're both kind of sponsored by the same company right now, which is breed love. Is that
1: correct? Oh, I love breed love. I have a, i don't even i can't even remember what model it is but it's like the one acoustic guitar where like if uh, i had to save one guitar and give my other like 12 away i'm like bro i gotta keep my breed love because it just sounds it sounds magical you know it just sounds like it's like dissonant in all the right ways Not, i guess not dissonant but it just like the harmonics on it and it's kind of wonky in some ways but like super clear in other ways and warm and dull in the best ways. I don't know like I'm I haven't changed I haven't changed my strings on it in like four <laughs> years and Gives I, I love when it like sounds yeah totally I love when it sounds dull and I don't know Breedlove's yeah. loves
0: amazing I mean yeah so shout out breed love guitars I guess one of the questions that I'd love to run
1: by you is do you remember writing your first song oh I definitely do <laughs> I wrote it um, and recorded it on my parents computer like i think it was like senior year of high school just a terrible song but it's very sweet sounding the guitar part was cool um i think it's like called holding on or something um yeah and i just and i just record recorded um the acoustic guitars and the vocals on the like built-in imac mic (laughs) Um, and I i always try to think of like the first songs that I recorded and remember like that, that's why I started making music. It wasn't for money. It wasn't for any other reasons. It's just like, I wanted to make songs and I enjoyed doing it. You know, it's a really simple thing. And it's, it's a funny story. I actually was on a plane ride with this woman, this woman sitting next to me, introduced herself as Peggy Sue and said that the song Peggy Sue was written about her. She's like a country girl. Um, and who's the guy who's uh, Peggy Sue, Peggy Sue. Um, buddy holly yeah she said but like she peggy sue lived on this like country farm and all of these famous um musicians would come and stay with them and eat the food off the farm and just like would have free room and board with them because they were just generous people and buddy holly stayed there and he he told her years later that he named the song peggy sue after her but anyway the reason i brought up the story yeah you met the original I met, Peggy Sue. I met a woman who claims to be the original Peggy Sue, but honestly, everything <laughs> about the conversation was like, okay, this, I believe, I believed her. She was, it was just a very interesting conversation, but um, that's awesome. But I forget where I was going with this. Oh yeah. When I was getting ready to leave the flight, um, she said, just remember why you wrote the first song, because I told her that I was like, you know, going through a hard time with music. She said, remember why you wrote the first song and write, your songs from that place. So I always try to remember, I always try to remember that. She just validated yeah, that seriously. that's definitely the real Peggy Sue. I with think that. it's the real Peggy Come Sue on. too after that comment. That's,
0: with that line, are you kidding yeah. me? Like you just got awakened and now you're going to write the best music of your life. Seriously. Like, okay.
1: And I would all wow. to Peggy Sue. I guess I gotta do a song called Peggy, Peggy Sue too. Man. Yeah. I want to meet her shit
0: oh, and man. some juju. Some it, the juju. thing
1: is it was she was so quirky like she, it was one of those situations where she was the person sitting next to me but she didn't shut up the whole flight. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned I learned everything about her. I won't get into that but yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So your first song, "Holding On." Do you actually have any? Any?
1: Uh, is there any way
0: that we can oh, hear man. this? You, you don't want you don't want to hear it. Or? You don't
1: want to hear it, bro. I mean, I I probably have it like backed up on a hard drive or something. I I can't like pull it up easily right now, but um. All right. Well, if you can find yeah. it, you got to send it over. We got it. We got to at least show yeah. someone. Come on. Weirdly, get, go back weirdly, all the way. Weirdly, I, the chords the chords from that song. Now that I'm thinking of it, the chords from that song are kind of similar to um my song Symmetry with Emily Warren it's like the same kind of chord like E major open chord shape that you're kind of vibing off of so it's it it is interesting to think right. that like my first song that like just was not you know is very raw and just like c- kind of terrible lyrics and very sweet sounding um tur- <laughs> turned into one of my favorite songs so what types of things
0: do you do to exercise your writing when you started writing what were your techniques to kind of get better were you just practicing guitar or
1: well i i injured my knee playing basketball in high school when i was a sophomore and so i figured like if i'm going to be on the bench i might as well like be do something productive with my time tuned up my guitar in my parents basement and like just started learning songs on guitar i always loved guitar um but never really dug into it enough to get good and that was when i got good at acoustic which was mostly me covering like um just like learning how to play a lot of (laughs) dave matthews honestly he was a huge influence on me which people talk shit about dave matthews but his guitar the way his lyrics and melodies like interweave with his guitar parts you know i heard somebody describe him once as a rhythm guitarist with a poet's mind um or 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 with a poet's tongue or whatever which i think is a great way to describe him because i feel like i i feel like learning how to play his music i got to kind of absorb the way he operates with an acoustic which is you know a special thing um and so that kind of turned into me being like um playing acoustic guitar for my friends at parties and sing-alongs and bonfires and stuff and you know i wasn't good at first but i always loved it so it's i slowly got better and then in college um it turned into me like covering songs i was like the youtube kid who would like cover songs like i covered drake songs and miguel songs and whatever songs i really liked i would do like acoustic versions of them and nice um yeah it, that kind of turned into me writing my own stuff um and producing everything in garage band and um you know i think it was like a few years after college i was living in chicago and i read the book the war on art by stephen pressfield and the book was essentially like if there's something that you really love you know you might as well take the risk to do it but to to have a career in the arts you have to treat the craft like it's a job before somebody's going to give you a job in the craft so it was like a light switch for me cuz i was working a job that i just really knew was not for me but i felt like i was just like growing up and like doing what i was supposed to be doing but i wasn't happy and reading that book was like a light switch it was like oh like I have to, if I want to be a songwriter, I just have to treat it like a job and do nothing else but that and figure out a way to get good enough that people take notice. And so I quit my job in Chicago and moved home for six months, saved money and moved out to LA and wrote songs out of a a closet for two years before I got my pub deal. So, um, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely did that, you know, so. You grinded, put
0: in the work man yeah so so what were what were you doing in chicago
1: like as far as your job what was what was your job when i was when i was living in chicago i worked at the onion um so 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 i i used to work in video production my dad runs a video production company based out of madison wisconsin and they do um commercials for miller coors and a bunch of you know big companies that are based in the midwest and My dad also writes screenplays. He wrote a screenplay for a movie called The Straight Story that was directed by David Lynch and nominated for an Oscar in 1995. Um, But I was working in video production for The Onion and Comcast Sportsnet in Chicago um, and uh, like editing Chicago sports teams like sports clips for their websites. And then The Onion was like super intense work environment. um, Like high pressure but like high pressure working on like a video about mitt romney's fake tweets so it was like simultaneously like the highest in- it's high, yeah science it's high, it's like highest intensity job but like the most ridiculous shit i would be working on every day so that was an interesting gig but um you know while i was doing all that i was spending all of my free time really not having a social life because those jobs like the comcast job was like a 2 p.m to 2 a.m like situation so like i would just work on music all day every day and then in the evenings go and like work this job that i wasn't like as crazy about so um yeah totally you got your reps in you know, you're starting out at
0: colleges, you're you're playing covers, you're starting to get your, your vocal chops, you're starting to get your guitar playing chops. After playing all that Dave Matthews will definitely come pretty easy because those riffs are crazy. And sure. so how did you or when did you decide to kind of mesh your acoustic style with like electronic production and with beats?
1: It happened pretty organically, but i I feel like I've had these phases, you know, before you know it seems obvious now like okay my project is like acoustic folk and it's all very minimal but like I definitely had a bunch of phases where I tried different like lanes you know I had a phase where I was trying to be more like swaggy electronic R&B like Darulo I guess you could say for sure um and you know it just wasn't really believable totally to people they'd be like but you're a guy with a beard from Wisconsin you're a (laughs) dork like like, sing something sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I feel like it eventually turned into that. But, like, I definitely had my phase where I was doing, like, swaggier stuff. And, you know, I worked with my friend um, uh, Quincy, who's an amazing producer. And we had we did a project called Pinata After Party that was, like, electronic. Honestly, it was kind of, like, the early weekend stuff. Um, it was, like, on that same tip. But, like, it was, you know, not quite as evolved from, like, the writing, like, the lyrical and, like, the melodic place um as it needed to be to really pop off at least that's my reason for thinking it didn't pop off but um it was like even re-listening to that stuff now i'm like that stuff was really good but it's just not as like honest to who i am as the folk like acoustic minimal stuff that i've been doing um and then i had like a whole funk phase too where i worked with this guy billy van all stein who's a really amazing producer he's based in nashville and we did this project called flip swank and it had all these like justin timberlake meets like um like i don't know like chromeo or uh, yeah just like funk super funky pop stuff um and that stuff is like super fun and i think that influences like where i've ended up too in that like i'm kind of crazy about like lyrics singing really well because if you sing funk songs the lyrics just really have to sing well i don't know i feel like all all of those phases have definitely like influenced where i'm at now um but you know i feel like i ended up where i needed to be as far as the lane that my project sits in so for the song wasted roses for you never was a game
0: so never I think it was just done really really nicely you know and also the writing in it um just some nice lyrical play like you can save your tongue for someone who can sit while you spit your silver words like just you know it's, it's really flowy i think it's done really clean and it's done in a really almost like classic type way so walk us through the track uh wasted roses how did that song come about
1: so i was living in uh the hallway of the house that's in in the same house as steven swartz aka steven um who's my good friend um and i was writing all my demos in a closet and living in that hallway and I wrote this, the, de- the like stripped, I was basically writing super stripped versions of the songs. One guitar, one or two guitar layers, a vocal and a bass and a kick. And I, I tried to strip my demos to the very least that could be there. Um, so it was like a demo of these, like super minimal stripped acoustic demos. And I remember the day I, ro- I, I did Wasted Roses, I came down into the living room. It was kind of an artist commune house. So everybody would disappear into these rooms. And then we would come into the, the living room where we had the biggest speakers and we would all play our demos and like talk about them. And people would be like, ah, oh, I fuck with this. I don't really fuck with that. What if you did this? And I remember one day I came into the living room just to like hear it on the big speakers. And Steven walked up from the basement. And Steven was already like a really well-established known artist for his big song bullet train. And he was prepping to put out this big project that now we know had like a crossfire and all these crazy songs on it. Um, and he walked up from his awesome studio in the basement and he goes, what is this? Cause sometimes we just listen to other stuff and he's like, what is this? And I was like, Oh, this is what I just wrote. And he's like, this is sick. Um, And I think maybe, you know, we, we had talked about the song for a while, but I think maybe like a few months later, maybe like half a year later or something, I was talking about which songs I wanted to put out for my project. And Steven was like, yo, let me jump on Wasted Roses. I could totally hear where it would go. So he took the original stripped demo, which had the groove and it had like, you know the, the 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 lead vocals, like the main demo vocals are the vocals that I ended up keeping, but we wrote a new bridge, so everything after like the two minute mark like on like the post course with the toms and all that, Stephen helped me like create that moment, and he obviously just took the drums and the entire vibe to the next level level. He's a pretty incredible producer um, so yeah and and I, lyrically and as far as how the song came came together from the conception i, I I typically write melodies first and then I like to tell the story backwards where I'll write the chorus in the title and then I'll dig into the verse based on what I want to write the story about. Um, and that was definitely one of those songs where like I had the chorus melody and I was like, oh, what if it was called Wasted Roses? And it was like I wasted roses on you. And it's a song about like somebody who just wasted your time um, and everything else just kind of came together from that. <laughs>
0: That's awesome because it's, it's super relatable, you know, and I think that's what most songwriters are looking for is just to connect with their audience. And I think everyone has had a moment, you know, with a girl where it's like either friend zone or, you know, some reason or another, you, you went out of your way to do something for someone and it just goes totally unnoticed and it's just, it's not clicking, you know, so definitely makes sense to me why, why, the listeners really connected with that one. You kind of got into it a little bit and you you talked a little bit about your process. Other than other than your your process that you just spoke of, is there anything else that goes into your formula or your craft when you're writing a song?
1: You know, everybody has their tricks and their things that they go to, but one of the m- most difficult and most awesome things about being a songwriter, especially today, is there's no one way to do it you know so as soon as you feel like you got it all figured out then all of your demos are going to sound the same and it's time to step out of your comfort zone Um, i will say things that do seem to work for me are writing on guitar you know like what what are my strengths you know writing on guitar is one of my strengths you know i can sit down with an acoustic and spend a day completely away from a computer and write a song and you know in some cases i get too involved with the computer and i should be doing that more um, but, you know, the more I learn about production, the more production has become a part of my process and being able to change keys on the fly and change tempos and, you know, start arranging the the kicks and snares and the bass and, you know, where the, shna- the shakers and the tambourines come in and, you know, whatever else I'm hearing, I like to be able to like have the production be a part of the songwriting now. So I do like to be in the studio when I'm writing lately um, so I can, you know. More often than not now it's it all happens in one day. At least the first like seventy to eighty percent of the song and all the important ideas happen the first day. But nice. but there's a I mean, there's a million ways to do it and you know, everybody works differently and you get different songs different ways. Sometimes I'm in a studio writing for someone else and they have the whole beat and I just come in and I write the top line over it. Or, you know, I come in with a song that I wrote on guitar or piano and another producer helps me produce it out. So you get different songs different ways. I think the important things to me are just telling a story or, or creating an emotion that is evocative and that really pulls people into it because otherwise it's just kind of masturbation and you're just making a song for yourself, you know, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and some music is like kind of like self-indulgent in that way. Like super left yeah. of center projects can be so self-indulgent that be, they become for everyone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, there's, even the projects where you're kind of making it for yourself can become projects for other people too so you know it's really just the way that you present it and the way you do it amazing so you just spoke about
0: you know one of the things about this podcast and song thrive is i love featuring songwriters that that in some way shape or form perform at least some of their own material um but on the flip side you know it's awesome that you know we have you talking with us and sharing a sharing your process because you've actually been tapped to write for other people so i guess who was the most memorable artist that you've worked with where you were writing for them
1: oh interesting or more, or, or most memorable moments while writing with them i have so many of them you know i've i've gotten to work with so many people that i truly admire and look up to you know, living with Steven was incredible. I felt like I learned, we learned so much from one another and I learned so much from living with him. And there was another artist living in the house at the time who's an incredible artist named Coda K-O-D-A. He's like got Radiohead style music, but it's also like he used to be in like a punk band. So he can really just like scream on a mic too. And his music is so wonderfully dark and um I feel like that was a really special era to me in the sessions that happened in that house because they're some of my best friends and i feel like there was a closeness and like an understanding from spending all day every day together and then being able to open up and and write together so i feel like those were some of my favorite sessions and like songs that i've been a part of i feel like another session that comes to mind um was i was in a session with jesse reyes and prince charles and this guy germ like three of the more more talented songwriters that uh i know and i was in a room with all of them at a camp writing for beyonce's last album lemonade and just like seeing how all three of them vibed with one another and like what their process is like the room just felt electric to me i feel like i know enough about songwriting to know how good those people are so that was that was one that really stuck out to me um obviously jesse reyes has her own artist project now that is incredible. And Prince Charles does as well, but they've written big songs for a lot of people. You know, Jesse's written for Sam Smith, you know, Prince Charles was written for Beyonce and Rihanna. He wrote Needed Me for Rihanna and Germ's written for just about everyone. He's got songs out with Captain Cuts. He's and anybody who's like a producer or writer in the industry knows who Germ is cause he's such a personality, but he's also an incredible, um, incredible artist himself. Um, so yeah, that was another one that popped up to me for sure. Damn, that's awesome! How has the uh,
0: how has the whole LA experience been to you? Being a guy from you know Wisconsin, what was
1: your first impression, and how do you how do you look at LA now? How do you feel about it now? Uh, LA has always been a love hate relationship for me. The first six months were easily the hardest. I was living in Sherman Oaks by myself. Actually, what got me out here was, um, in addition to just finally feeling motivated to do it, one of my um, best friends from college and high school guy named Johnny Gleason um, got in an accident and he was in a coma for seven weeks and he oh, had to come back to Wisconsin to be with his family and they needed somebody to take over his apartment. So that was what got me out here. It was just them being like, will you take over Johnny's apartment? Um, and I was like planning oh, wow. on coming out here anyway. So that was what got me out here. But I was out in Sherman Oaks and I didn't really know anybody. So I felt far from everyone and not having a sense of community in this city is especially difficult because it's so, hard to get everywhere here. Driving is a thing and it takes forever to get everywhere. Um, So the first six months were the most difficult. But um, when I moved in with Steven and Coda and Quincy and Nathan in their like artist commune house, that was when it really changed for me. Um, Because that was a really difficult period. It's not easy to live in a hallway and write demos out of a closet. But creatively, I felt like I was on fire because I was around all these people who were so um, much further along than me as far as you know specifically production but just in a lot of ways we were all like sponges learning from one another so i felt like that was a real incubation period that i had that was something that a lot of artists don't have and i'm so grateful for so i feel like when that era hit i felt more and more at home here and like i had my people here so i feel like you know i got to kind of open up to la and feel like okay it is pretty sweet skipping winter it is pretty sweet being in a place where there's so many creatives who are just incredibly inspiring and motivated and i think being you know as opposed to being in wisconsin which it's not to say there's not you know music happening there but the level of the level that people take their craft seriously here compared to pretty much anywhere else save maybe nashville is just unparalleled so i feel like me being a creative and like needing to grow as an artist this is the best place to be in my opinion so i'm so grateful to be here i've been lucky enough to also meet an amazing girl here who makes it pretty awesome to be here we moved in a couple months ago um super grateful for that i do hate the worst thing about being here is just being away from my family and friends in wisconsin though um it's it's a it's a struggle that so many people who have moved here for music and for art and for their craft uh go through is like being far from their families and it just never gets easy. I, I just saw my family in Chicago over the weekend, and it's so great to spend time with them. But like, I wish I could be spending ten more time, ten times more time with them. Um, so that's definitely the most difficult thing about being here. Tipsy love. <laughs> Shake it on up, yeah, like, it like that. Take em on doubt to speak real slow Let them fill up to my ghost blank. Show 'em something Make it crush. Tipsy I wrote that during the era that I was living in Sherman Oaks by myself when I first moved here. Um, I feel like the song is definitely about just my own struggle with alcohol and how that's played a role in previous relationships that I've had. Um, I know the the day before I wrote that song, I went to a bar and got drunk by myself cause I was just, you know, lonely and like rethinking my entire, um, decision to move out here and, um, you know, hadn't really processed a breakup that I went through when I left Wisconsin to come out here and. Um, you know just had one of those like blues alcohol nights and the next morning I woke up and I I wrote that in the living room because I had my gear set up in the living room because both my roommates weren't there and um, I remember writing those melodies first and then writing that chorus and it felt it felt really personal and intimate and I sent that song at the time I was sending demos to my friend Quincy just to like I really trusted his ears to get feedback on what You know had potential what didn't and i remember sending him tipsy love and i also sent him this like super up-tempo happy reggae song that i and i was like really excited about the up-tempo reggae song. i was like i think this could be a hit like i could hear it this way and and then i and i kind of sent tipsy love and i was like and this one was kind of more just for me it's like personal and kind of weird so i don't you know i don't expect anything from that and he was like yo tipsy love is is The best song that i've ever gotten from you whatever this is you need need to do more of this so props to him for like saying that and recognizing that um because that song really you know really opened up the lane for all the rest of the songs on my artist project where it's like okay you know maybe i don't need all this other crazy production really just me being on an acoustic and being vulnerable is the move you know especially early on is just opening up to people about what my life is really like and doing more of that style. So um, it's a really special song to me. And, you know, it also became one of the first songs that I was playing f- acoustically for my friends at parties and at like acoustic gigs and stuff like that. So I felt like it was the first song that was like an anchor for me as to what my project was about. So it's a special song to me in a lot of, in a lot of ways. It's, it's funny how, that's awesome.
0: Really cool, really cool story behind that. It's it's amazing to me how the songs that are the most transparent and where you're the most vulnerable as a writer just hit, you know, it's like people can see through any type of fakeness if it's not real, you know, it it it, it transfers in the sense that they will not be listening to that, you know, so it's like, it's awesome how these two songs that we kind of discussed are the top songs right now along with Symmetry and you've basically been the most vulnerable on them. So um, that's really cool. And it's amazing about your craft that you're able to strip it down, show people, you know, who is JT Roach, a little, you know, um, basically see inside of your, your life and inside of your mind. So yeah, fill us in on the new EP, Witch's Lake. I'm starting
1: to believe the light Something's keeping me alive which is late comes out at midnight tonight so by the time this podcast is out it's probably going to be out already um it's a six song ep and it's really the it's like the end of this acoustic vulnerable era i mean for the time being It's the end of this project that I've slowly been releasing single by single. So if you imagine the first singles that I've put out in uh, in combination with this six song EP, it's kind of the culmination of one project in the same kind of space. Um, I love these songs. I've sat with these songs for a few years and just, you know, they're the kind of songs that kind of feel like they exist outside of, whatever trendy pop stuff is going on right now. And I don't say that in a bad way cause I write trendy pop stuff, but these feel <laughs> like kind of timeless acoustic singer songwriter songs. So I was never in a rush to put these out. I just wanted to finish them properly and, and have them sounding the way that I wanted them to sound. So I took my time with these and I really love these six songs all for very different reasons, but they do feel like they're all coming from a similar place, which is vulnerability and you know, The kind of stuff that you play around a campfire and the kind of songs that you listen to when you're going through an emotional time or a big transition, especially in your love life. So um, I'm really excited to to have people hear it. It's definitely the most um, um, the most nervous I've been to put something out because it's just so not current as far as the way that it's presented. But I just know that I love these songs. So um, I feel like I just want to put them out you know and I've put out so many singles now that it's like okay I feel like I'm ready to put out a body of work that people can really wrap their head around what I'm trying to do and I think this project really does that so I'm so excited for people to hear it and to have it out there
0: yeah and that's the great thing about being you know your own artist is that you can continue songwriting for others you can continue keeping your ear to the street and you know trying to make sure that you're kind of capitalizing on certain trends while still remaining vulnerable and transparent but with your own stuff it's awesome that you can break off and just kind of explore new realms I mean just the fact that you know the the EP just has such a classic sound to it really comes back to earlier in our conversation when you were talking about the the music that you were brought up on the James Taylor's you know the early Beatles stuff where it's just broken down and it's just Classic, good songwriting. So, definitely, really excited for everyone to hear the EP as well. Thanks, man. And did you did you produce "Witches Lake" or or did you send that out? Or yeah, I guess who who uh, worked on it?
1: Um, I produced the entire project except for "Silent Arms," was fifty uh, fifty co produced with uh, my friend Junis Angeria, an incredible producer and one of the sweetest and most awesome guys I've met since working in the music industry. And then um, the song "Bottle." I worked. I had my friend Billy Van Allstein, who I told you about, who I did that Flip Swank EP with back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. He helped me with bottle, particularly the drums um, and some of the layers that I just couldn't get myself. Um, and he really helped me get that to the finish line. So I'm super grateful to both of them. Um, and yeah, Silent Arms was mixed by Tommy Vanekanen, who's my go to mixing guy in Finland. Um, and then this guy, Tom Waltz, does all the mastering. But um, the mixes on all of them except for silent arms were my mixes so um what is your advice
0: for an up-and-coming songwriter someone who's just starting out what would you tell them
1: write a whole bunch of terrible songs (laughs) you know like (laughs) like you like i I heard john mayer describe it in an interview once as like you have to just vomit songs (laughs) and just like sit down every day and just do it you know like like, you gotta know that you're not, like every song you sit down to write isn't gonna be the next hit. It's not gonna define your artist project. People aren't gonna be wild by everything you write. I think the misconception is like, oh man, these people who have had success, these are the only 10 songs they wrote. It's like, nah, bro. Like these people have put in 10,000 hours and written so much bad stuff that they finally fit. They like move their way towards figuring out what they really like and what is really good just by making all of the mistakes, you know? so Mm. at least that was how it worked for me some people maybe just sit down at a guitar and a piano and they just have it immediately i know that was not the case for me i had to write so many bad songs first and i think the one thing that i did write was i had the courage to just to just write a ton of songs and just not overthink it too much and just be willing to make mistakes and know that there's no right way to do it, you know? And the more you do it, the more, you, the more you'll like learn these little lessons along the way and the more you'll enjoy the process and the less it'll feel like work and the more it'll feel like play. And you'll yeah. slowly start to figure out, you know, what you're trying to do and it'll reveal itself, you know? Thanks so much, JT, really enjoyed the conversation. You dropped a lot of knowledge on us, man. Thanks bro, and I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate you taking the time. A big thanks to JT for being
0: a part of Song Thrive. You can check out J.T. Roach's music on all streaming platforms. And make sure to go check out his brand new EP, *Witches Lake, which is a sonic feast. Till next time, over and out.